So thanks to Simon. Uh, I want to follow on by talking more about the implementation challenges in relation to the forward view, because like many other organizations, we've welcomed it, uh, setting a direction, talking about the funding requirements, both for the NHS and for future governments. A lot of hard work has gone into producing it. Even harder work now needs to go into changing some of the policy settings that might get in the way of its effective and rapid uh, implementation. And that's really where I want to come from today. That's the paper that Richard and I have written. There are copies around which I hope you'll pick up and take away. The care models may have different names. I think they're essentially variations on the same theme, as Simon's indicated. They're different versions of integrated care. Some might start from hospitals, some might start from primary care, some might start from social care. But at the end of the day, it's about integration, integration and integration. The problem I think we have is the current policy settings weren't designed to support the development of more integrated care, even if there were some amendments made to the Health and Social Care Act as it was going through Parliament. So our view as set out in the paper is we need pretty fundamental, far-reaching changes in most of the policy settings. Now, we've not tried to do all of that in the paper. We focused on a few. I want to run through them very quickly. Uh, changes in how we commission care changes in how we pay for care, changes in how we regulate the provision of care, and also changes in the support that's available to the NHS in making a reality of these new models of care. So if I just list an example or two of the key changes that we describe in the paper on commissioning, we think there's a need to move quickly to greater use of prime or alliance contracts, to support care models, plus, of course, we have to find a way of reintegrating commissioning, given that the former population-based budgets controlled by PCTs have been fractured in a number of different directions, CCGs, NHS England, local authorities, and they have to be reintegrated. And what Simon said this morning about uh, co-commissioning around primary medical care provision is a good practical example of that. So changes to commissioning. Secondly, changes to payment systems. For as long as I can remember, probably about a decade now, there's been a debate about uh, how do we move beyond PBR as the main way of paying for care, not to abandon it. Shouldn't we be embracing capitated or global budgets, but not old-fashioned global budgets, budgets linked, linked to the delivery of uh, agreed outcomes uh, of care? And that has to be a much higher priority. We need more brain power around how we implement capitated budgets and do so linked to outcomes, whether it's uh, PACs and MCP or anything else. I'm not sure we have sufficient brain power currently focused on doing that. On regulation, there are several things we suggest. One is that CQC needs to embrace the regulation of systems of care, not just regulating individual organisations. There are plans to do that. But again, they need to be accelerated. Likewise, we think the rules on procurement and tendering could unintentionally or maybe intentionally get in the way of new models of integrated care. Those models could be seen as being anti-competitive and not in the best interests of patients. So monitor and others who are concerned with procurement and tendering as another aspect of regulation need to ensure that doesn't happen. 
And, of course, there needs to be proper funding, not just additions to the annual budget for the NHS, but a transformation fund, which we discuss in the paper. Richard from our team is working with colleagues at the Health Foundation on a joint piece of work which will bear fruit later this year, setting out in more detail our thoughts on what a transformation fund might do and how it could be used to pump prime and cover some of the double running costs involved in these new care models. So just a flavour of the specific policy changes, yeah, quite technical in some ways, but really important to enable us to remove barriers that might get in the way and to facilitate the rapid implementation and evolution of these new care models. And in making this point, can I make another broader point, which is seems to me the uh, approach we adopt from here needs to be one of uh, discovery rather than design in implementing new care models. There is a menu set out in the five-year forward view. It's not the end of the debate. It ought to be the start of the debate. Certainly our work in local health economies tells us that people are looking at these models, but they're saying, well, there may be other versions and variations of integrated care that would work better for us in wherever we happen to be. And I think the framework that's been laid down is a permissive framework that absolutely gives people the opportunity to go beyond the current menu and suggest what might be more appropriate where they are. We have a paper coming out soon, for example, on the argument for a population health focus as a broader interpretation of what integrated care might mean, exactly in, in line with the triple aim thinking. So... Policy changes, but alongside that, what we would also argue for is more support, practical support to the NHS to find the time and the space and develop the skills needed in the future. We've placed a lot of emphasis, the collective we here, on uh, intervention, on regulation, um, that horrible word enforcement, when things go wrong. We haven't given enough attention to the other side of that coin when organisations and increasingly local systems of care find themselves with financial and other challenges, what support can they look to to enable them to dig themselves out of a hole, not just to reinstate the uh, status quo ante, but also to transform the models of care in the process? We do invest a fair bit at the moment through two national bodies, the Leadership Academy and NHS IQ. We think that that provides an opportunity to use that resource much more effectively. We would argue, as we do in the paper, for a national strategy on quality improvement and leadership development to enable the NHS to make a reality of Don Berwick's vision in his report on safety and zero harm of the NHS truly becoming a learning organisation. So the debate that I know is going on about the future role of the Leadership Academy and NHS IQ shouldn't start from the existing organisations. It should take a step or two back and say, what is the strategy for the NHS England around quality improvement and leadership development? And how can both of those contribute in a joined-up way to the transformations in care that we need to implement these new care models? Because they literally are two sides of the same coin. We think the revitalised National Quality Board would be well-placed to lead and develop a national strategy on quality improvement and leadership development. We would also argue the principal responsibility 
should rest within the NHS itself. Individual organisations must own and give priority to transformations of care and how they develop the leaders and equip all staff with the skills in quality and service improvement. It can't be outsourced, it needs to be insourced. If you look at examples of high-performing healthcare organisations around the world, as we did last year, that's exactly the lesson you take from them. This has to be owned by organisations themselves. And of course, that might involve collaboration locally with other organisations taking advantage of the academic health science networks in some parts of the country, and bottom-up collaborations. So I think of Aqua in the northwest of England, a collaboration between commissioners and providers in that region, precisely designed to provide support in these sorts of areas. And then, it seems to me, it follows logically that you need a single national body combining the expertise on leadership and quality improvement to provide expert support with a lot of the resource currently controlled nationally allocated to the NHS itself to make its own decisions on how it can work towards Don's vision of the NHS truly becoming a learning organisation, but with the emphasis on staff being supported at all levels. One other key ingredient, as I draw my comments to a close, is the critical importance, both nationally and locally, of what we would call system leadership. I think Simon and others have shown the way here with the uh, coalition of national bodies that are signed up to the five-year forward view. That's a really important step in the right direction. But locally, too, we need to find a way without structural change of NHS organisations and local authorities and third sector organisations coming together to provide that local system leadership on which implementation critically uh, depends. We need partnership boards, but partnership boards with teeth where organisations are willing to cede some sovereignty to collectively take responsibility for moving from where we are in the direction set out in the five-year forward view. And that's challenging because there is no obvious system leader at the moment. There has to be local agreement. That's the right thing to do. And a willingness, as I say, to give up some autonomy for the greater good of the population being served from different organisational perspectives. We're encouraged in our work by what we see already happening in many places as organisations step in to fill that gap. But more of that is needed. So, in summary... Each of the individual things that we would like to see by way of changes to commissioning, to payment systems, to regulation, to support and so on, is a big ask in its own right. If you add them all together, there is a major programme of work here for national bodies supported by the NHS to agree on what needs to be changed and how expertise can be made more widely available to align the policy settings in each of these areas with the direction that's been set out. And having spent a little bit of my career working in Whitehall, I know sometimes a common mistake to make is the work is done when the white paper is published or the plan is written. You, know, you throw it over the boundary walls and say, get on and implement. Well, of course, it's never been like that and it won't be like that this time round either. That's why we want to... Uh, focus on the rather sort of boring but critical work around implementation and execution. Final point, one of the risks that we see because of the huge operational pressures in the NHS and local government at the moment is <coughs> dealing with the day-to-day -day operational pressures will crowd out you know, time 
and space and opportunity to think about the medium longer term future. That would be a huge mistake. The two are part and parcel of the same discussion. Unless we pay attention to the new, more integrated care models, we'll only be able to find sticking plaster solutions to the huge operational problems facing health and social care. Um, I know locally people are striving to avoid falling into that trap because unless we see them as absolutely connected, then we won't make the progress that's needed in the timescale that's available. Thank you.